to episode 26 of Tall Poppy. Today I speak with Claire Diaz-Ortiz, whose most recent book has just come out, like yesterday. It's a collaboration with Ken Blanchard, known for The One Minute Manager. The pair teamed up to write One Minute Mentoring. Here's a person who's really taken advantage of the opportunities we have available to us in this day and age. She went from being inspired by a book to start a not-for-profit in Kenya to meeting the person who wrote the book years later when she worked at Twitter. Claire has had a number of experiences like this, and after being a mentor to kids in Africa and the significant impact of having others mentor her, she got really curious about this whole mentoring phenomena and dove in. This journey has led her to the Success Mentor Summit, which you'll hear her talk about in the interview. And if you've listened to our previous episodes on mentoring, I think you'll really like this one. We take it to a whole new level and explore the difference it can make and how important it is in the times we live in. I would like to welcome Claire Diaz-Ortiz to Tall Poppy. Thanks for being with us, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start with where in the world are you? I am in the far-off land of Argentina tonight and always. Well, not always, but for the most part. And so can you describe something in your surroundings that will help us sort of get anchored in the sort of visual realm? Sure. So I live about 25 minutes outside the capital of Buenos Aires, and we live um, in a pretty quiet community on a lake. And so I'm in my home office, and I'm looking out a big, big sort of picture window with a window seat out onto a, a dark lake because it is evening here. And I'm seeing sunbirds, but mostly just houses and trees. Mm, nice. And it's early morning here in Australia, and um, I'm glad we were able to find a, a sliver of the time zones that uh, we both have waking hours. <laughs> I know. It is a sliver, right? Yeah, it really is. Um, so let's start with, um, if you can tell us a bit about your work and what's important to you about what you do. Sure. So my work has, has changed over the years, but I guess that's probably true of most people. These days, um, I would say the base of what I do is I'm an author. I, I write business books. And then sort of what comes along with that is, you know, some other things like speaking and um, writing online and creating online programs and that sort of thing. So I, I think being an author of business books is, is the core of me right now. But um, there's some, you know, peripheral or maybe not peripheral sort of comets flying around me as well that I'm doing other things with. And so we'll get to your upcoming um, book at the, in a moment. But are you still working with Twitter or is that, is that past now? No, so that's past. I, I spent about five and a half years at Twitter, and I am now the mom of three kids under three years old, which is completely ridiculous. <laughs> and I left Twitter, uh, I guess, a little bit over two years ago. So knowing knowing what was coming, I kind of had to create a, a more flexible work situation for myself, particularly with the travel. I think that's the hardest part when you've got mm. a mom of a lot of littles. It's it's hard to be on the road quite as much. Yeah, and imagine. especially, you know, we live. A lot of the work I do, as you probably maybe have these types of experiences as well, you know, having to travel a lot to the U.S. and to Europe and such, and that's hard living, living down here in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. And it's interesting, I think a lot of um, what happens in the Northern Hemisphere assumes that the Nor Northern Hemisphere is the only one that exists. 
I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. It is, I think the funniest thing in the world when people ask me my time zone and I respond with what my time zone is, it's ART, which is a time zone no one has ever heard of. And they are baffled as to where I am. And, you know, and then thus begins a long conversation about how strange it is to many people that apparently South America is actually further east than the eastern seaboard of the US. So, uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's a. Yeah, well, we have I'm, a we have a world centered in the north. Yeah, and I um I didn't I hadn't heard of the ART time zone either, and I haven't actually spoken to anyone from that time zone before. Um, so it's it's kind of an exciting first for me. <laughs> so um, le- I wanted to stick with the social media stuff for a minute. Um, and before we started recording, I mentioned that uh, in in googling you, the first thing that came up was um, your claim to fame, being um, or perhaps from the the you know the Google sphere um, that you got the Pope into Twitter. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I, you know, I was an early employee at Twitter. And so I spent about five and a half years there. And I think it was in the fourth year that I was kind of tasked with this project of trying to figure out initially, um, you know, and obviously there was a team on this at the time, trying to figure out why it was that religion and religious tweets and tweets about faith were basically doing so well, right? So the um, some data scientists had figured out that it was this strange sort of anomaly they thought at the time that all these tweets about religion, things like Bible verses, were just having incredible amounts of engagement, right? So engagement, you know, really punching above their weight. So you might have a some sort of religious user, re- religious leader, I should say, with maybe 10,000 followers, and they're getting way more engagement than, you know, some musical star with 100,000, something mm. like that. And so in looking into it, it just became clear that across the board, religion was, as I said, really punching above its weight in terms of engagement on Twitter. So we became sort of interested in kind of understanding this phenomenon more and obviously encouraging the phenomenon as well. And so mm-hmm. I spent about a year working with the Vatican to get Pope Benedict at the time onto Twitter. And it was a really, really fun career experience. And when I when I look back on with a lot of fondness, I always say, though, that my my relatives, you know, my husband, uh, we live in Argentina, my husband's Argentine, all my family is Argentine. And so they um, were extremely upset, of course, that I got the wrong Pope on Twitter, because this is Pope Benedict. And it was just a few months before Pope Francis came into, uh, right. came into his seat. So yes, I will so forever does, be. Does Pope um, Francis have a Twitter account? Yeah. yeah, so the Twitter account transitioned over. Oh, okay. um, it was interesting when when Pope Benedict left, they had um, they deleted all the Vatican decided to delete all his tweets, oh. and the the account for that period of a few weeks or whatever when they were going through the process of choosing a new pope had the sede vacante there. So it was basically you know we're looking for someone new essentially uh, <laughs> saying yeah. that in, in Latin more or less, and mm-hmm. then. When um, Pope Francis came on, he basically began anew, began anew with the same accounts. Mm, interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. So let's um, jump forward. So tell us about the book that's coming out. Um, I think by the time this airs, it will have just come out, like within 24 hours. I think so too. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Um, this is a book I, I've written not by myself, but with Ken Blanchard. Um, it's called One Minute Mentoring, How to Find and Work with a Mentor and Why You'll Benefit from Being One. And, you know, from my perspective, Ken Blanchard was always a mentor to me in terms of being this author that I 
I knew very well from many of the books he's published, the the most famous being The One Minute Manager. Mm -hmm. And so I had long known of him. And it was when we were um, connected to each other a few years ago and started working on this book that, you know, me sort of knowing him as this kind of far off mentor in my mind, because I had learned through reading his books it, it transformed and he really became sort of a mentor in the flesh to me. So it's been a really exciting experience from a personal level in the sort of creation process of the book, I'd say. So what's he like as a mentor? He's great. He's incredibly, um, incredibly involved, incredibly present. He says that he is one of the most sort of extroverted. He's, he's, he's off the charts extroverted. And I think that is very, very clear. Um, he tells the story about how his wife you know, because Ken loves his telephone. He just loves to, you know, he loves that more than email and he calls people and just like, you know, calls some famous person and he's just sitting with you and that person calls and he picks up the phone or he calls them in the middle of, you know, talking about them. (laughs) And he told me this story once about how his, um, wife once said to him, Ken, it never occurs to you that some people don't want to talk on the phone sometimes, which I found hysterical. <laughs> as, as an introvert, I kind of understand uh, where she's coming from and what that means, but that just doesn't occur to him. He's an off-the-charts extrovert, loves to be around people, and loves to connect, and that's mm. very clear. So what are the, some of the things you feel like you learned from him? Well, I think Ken has a really interesting kind of balanced approach to leadership, which is um, is something that I think comes across in his books, but I think to me became even more clear when we were kind of working together on on a personal level in the formation of this book. He is just someone who, I mean, he's incredibly successful and incredibly humble about it. And I think that that humility um, really highlights this perspective he has. And the perspective he has is, is one of really that, you know, success comes with, with balance and that leading well is, you know, about uh, maintaining strong ties and strong connections with, with your family and with your friends and with your life outside of work. And I think that's just an incredible kind of, um, that's a great message, particularly in this day and age when, you know, everything is sort of full force, you know, we're, we're running balls to the wall at all, at all hours, you know, mm-hmm. seeing someone who's really kind of a balanced leader, mm-hmm. um, and who as a result of that has been able to engender incredible loyalty in his, you know, certainly in his many readers and followers, but also in his, you know, in his staff and his corporation. So, so why did you decide to write a book on mentorship with Ken? So I was really passionate about this concept of, of mentoring already. And when we sort of came together, it was really almost immediately with this idea of writing a book sort of about this concept of mentoring across generations. We called it cross-generational mentoring at the time. And okay. so the book is a, a parable, like many of his Many of his business books are written, they're stories, right? And so mm. this is the way One Minute Mentoring is written as well. It's a story about a, a mentor and, and her mentee and how they find each other and how they sort of progress in learning from one another. And, you know, it's a story that really mirrors kind of the experience that I was having with Ken during the writing of this. And I think what's really, really important to understand about this is, you know, I, I knew the power of of mentoring from both sides. I had been a mentor and I had been a mentee before meeting Ken and going on this journey to write the book. But I think it didn't occur to me that you can have this relationship in the same relationship a lot of times. So if that makes sense. So 
I, in my past mentoring experiences, I had either been the mentor or the mentee, and I had not understood how much I was really learning in, in the opposite way as well. And so I think in my mentoring partnership with Ken, that has been very clear. I feel that I am learning and I am, I am um, teaching at the same time, which I think is an interesting experience and an important one to, I mean, perhaps an obvious one. I'm sure there are people listening that say, right, that's, that's how mentoring works, right? If you're, if you're a mentor, you're of course going to learn, but I don't think I'd had that experience to this extent before. Well, and like I said before, we started recording in a previous uh, episode, I talked about the idea of mutual mentoring and this isn't, Hmm. um, necessarily a, a new idea but it's it's one that I think is gaining a lot of currency especially as we have this sort of cross-generational um, you know gap in experience and you know we've got our digital natives and our digital dinosaurs and the natives definitely mm-hmm. you know um, have something to offer our uh, respected elder dinosaurs and um, yeah the, I think there's a lot of opportunity for for mutual learning if if the mentor is open to that um, or if that's how it's set up from from the get-go but I want to pick up on something you said earlier that before you met Ken you felt there was you were quite passionate about mentoring already so can you tell me about how that came about where did that passion sure so I I mean there's sort of the, the business side to it and then kind of the personal side to it from the personal side I had had a um very impactful experience in my own life when I was in my I guess my early 20s I had um started a nonprofit out in Kenya and I was living in an orphanage for a year in Kenya and had started a, a nonprofit. The nonprofit had incubated out of a, an extracurricular running program I'd started in this orphanage where I was living. Hmm. And so I'd started this nonprofit and I was really passionate about nonprofit work at the time. And this was sort of, this was the, the journey that took me into working at Twitter. But okay. as this was happening, one of the students in, in the program, so one of the boys in the orphanage where I was living and running this running program, um, his name was Sammy and he essentially, you know, he and I connected from the very first moment I walked into that orphanage. And by the time I I left, you know, at the end of that year, I knew that, you know, I wanted to maintain this connection a different way and in a, in a more prolonged way, I should say. So we ended up bringing him, you know, I asked my parents if they would adopt him and they, they, they kindly declined. And so I ended up becoming his, I guess, his U S guardian, you would say, and bringing him to the U S where he finished high school and, you know, our journey now it's 10 years later. So he's, you know, now in his early twenties. Um, but that experience was, he's still in the U S no, no, he returned. He, he, did his high school years in the U.S. Then he uh, went to Ecuador on an interesting fellowship program that mm-hmm. um, we that he he got into in the U.S. And then he returned to university in Kenya. And so right now okay. he's finishing up university in Kenya. Fantastic. And but the whole experience obviously was a very um, life changing one for me. Surely, and a, a very much sort of in the flesh experience of what mentoring can do. But that was, of course, sort of from the more life mentoring side, right? Mm-hmm. And on the other side of things, I had had my own business mentors that I had seen how they'd sort of changed my career really dramatically. So I think for me, this topic was was something I I knew really mattered. And um, I wanted I wanted more people to to hear about how much it mattered. And I knew it was a timely topic as well. I mean, I feel like 10 years ago, people weren't as as passionate about this, certainly within kind of corporations. You know, these days you see kind of peer-to-peer mentoring programs popping up all over the place. If you go to your human resources department, there's likely already a program in the works, um, which is fantastic. So all sort of those reasons came together in the perfect storm, I would say. 
Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I helped um, a company set up a mentoring program as part of a professional development program. And um, I mean, you could really see the risk of not having that, especially when there are people who have a lot of knowledge that are retiring. And that, you know, if they're if they don't have a mentoring relationship, that knowledge can just get lost. So making sure that gets passed on, I think is really important. Absolutely. And it's so sad that that's not more of sort of the default, right? You have these Mm -hmm. people retiring with this incredible knowledge and, you know, many of them are going to retire to, to, to not, you know, to, to, to to not use that knowledge in that same way. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to move into the space of my, um, tall poppy question. So can you tell me what does leadership mean to you now that's different than earlier in your life? Oh man, I think leadership is so different now than what I thought. Um, I think what I used to think of leadership as is almost unrecognizable to what I think of it as today. I think in the past, I I thought that leadership was about um, a, a flashy person with a big voice who would tell you what to do. And maybe if you were doing it wrong, get you back on track and kind of drag you to success along the way, right? (laughs) Push, you know, whatever, kicking and screaming. And I just see now um, at this, you know, current season of life and this stage in my career that I think a real leader is someone who who understands um, your whole self and, you know, your whole, (laughs) your, 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 your holistic goals for your life. And, um, I think that is becoming more and more the norm, which I think is really wonderful. I think when you think of business leadership, a lot of times people think that that is something that just stays within the business. And I, I guess I just don't think that's, that's the way it should be. Well, that's definitely the, the, um, I don't want to call it a trend, but in terms of what I've, I'm seeing in the people that I'm interviewing, uh, what you're saying about, you know, the whole person and, and especially the, the idea of being able to bring our whole selves to work. And, and, you know, that can only happen when, um, you know, the person who sensibly sits at the top is uh, able to do that and make, you know, give permission and make it safe to do that. Cause at the, at the moment, there's a lot of posturing, which, you know, can be exhausting and not, you know, not very productive, but yeah, when, when there's that awareness that, yeah, we have, um, an emotional side and we have intuition and we have, you know, that, that all combines with our, our cognitive intelligence that, you know, there's so much more that can be accomplished when we bring, bring that sort of holistic approach. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, and I think that the push for that, that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, that that doesn't mean a lack of boundaries. That doesn't mean, you know, transparency to the point of, you know, TMI, too much information, (laughs) but, but it does mean really looking at, at you as a person and looking at you as someone who is part of a family and, and part of a life that goes on outside the the walls of the cubicle. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a question that's popped into my mind about mentoring that I, I wanted to um, check out with you as well. So I spoke to someone who actually also set up a, a not-for-profit in Africa um, quite a few years ago, um, and I asked her about mentoring, and she said that um, the thing that really worked for her about mentoring was its informal nature. She said that she tried formal mentoring and informal mentoring and paid and um, non-commercial sort of voluntary me- mentoring and the thing that seemed to work best at least for her was the voluntary informal mentorship and I wonder if you have any thoughts on that because I, I mean I, 
I can imagine that mentoring that is formalized and is, you know, that you pay for is going to have a different quality and perhaps, um, but look, maybe not. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on that. I'm trying to think of which thought to, to start with, honestly. I, I think, first of all, there's a there's a difference, I would say, between formal and programmatic, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. if you're in a peer-to-peer mentoring program in your in your company, for example, that that is formal, but that's also part of a program. So I would call that more programmatic. Okay. I, I do think that there is a way to engage in maybe what she was referring to as informal mentoring, but still kind of create a structure around it. Mm. Um, you know, when I was, when Ken and I were starting the writing of this book, obviously, you know, I did lots of research into mentoring and, and what works and what doesn't and what kind of programs exist out there. And I just very much came to the understanding or belief, I should say that I think the most effective mentoring happens when there's some type of structure around it. And I don't I do not necessarily mean a program, but I mean, you know, I, you and I decide to engage in a mentoring relationship and we come up with, you know, a goal for that relationship. And we agree to, to meet regularly to, to work through whatever we're going to be working through. And, you know, then we have check-ins and, you know, sort of say, how is this going? Should we keep going? That type of thing. Um, I do think that is ideal. Now I want to be clear. I think, you know, there are lots of, as, as Ken says, mentoring moments out there in life that do not fit this, um, this formula that I think also are, are effective, just not in the same kind of, not in the same way. Right. And so there are many kind of examples. Totally. So there are many examples of this, right? There's the example of, you know, the person you sit next to on the plane and you start chatting and you chat for 20 minutes and they tell you something that makes you rethink everything you think about your career, right? There's that sort of example. There's the example of, you know, you pick up a great book and it just completely transforms the way you think about, you know, your diet or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there are mentors and there are these mentoring moments kind of that happen all around us. But, but I do think that, you know, to be most effective in a mentoring partnership, I, I do think there are things that you can do to put a structure around that to, to basically, you know, get where you want to go, um, maybe, maybe faster or maybe more effectively. Hmm. And what about the whole paid or unpaid thing? So it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure you've, you know, I feel like it's kind of a, a a trope these days to say that, you know, people are more invested in something they pay for. Mm. And I am very curious if that's the case with mentoring. I'm not sure that's the case. I do think, you know, if you look, I I think mentoring and coaching are different things, first of all, right? So I see coaching as, you know, targeted around a specific sort of issue you're trying to get to the bottom of, or you're trying to develop in a certain capacity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, With coaching, I, I would say that a lot of times, you know, paying for that makes you more invested in, in the outcomes you want to see. Um, with mentoring, I, I'm not sure that's the case. I honestly, I don't know because a part of me wonders if maybe paying for mentoring, maybe taking away that or- organic nature of it takes away some. I'm, I'm not sure. What do you mm-hmm. think? Well, I, I don't had, know where I can go. Yeah, I had, uh, uh, I guess... I'm a bit reluctant to call it a failed attempt at mentoring. I, I had someone in mm. mind that I wanted to um, be a mentor for me, and we, you know, arranged uh, a number of 
you know, times to, to, it, it was just going to be like an hour a month kind of thing. And, um, mm -hmm. she, she wasn't able to sort of keep to that. And I kind of wonder, you know, she, she felt really bad. She's like, Oh, I'm the worst mentor ever. And I'm like, no, you're not. I mean, I'm still able to, to learn from you. Um, but then there was kind of a part of me that was like, well, I wonder if I was paying her, if her relationship to it would have been different. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. Mm. I, I, and then, and then there's, you know, similar to what we were talking about before we started recording this idea that, you know, a thing that's come up a lot in Tall Poppy is that people struggle to ask for help. And so, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, um, know that mentoring is a good idea and that would be good for me to have a mentor and I would really like that to be an informal and I actually have a few people as as a result of these conversations on tall poppy that I'm like okay I, I need to actually get off my butt and do this but there's a part mm. of it that's like I, I feel like I should be paying for their time as a, out of respect mm. um, and you know partly because you know when when um, you know one of the things I've done mentoring in is facilitation and I know that um, you know, when, when someone pays me for my time, I am definitely have a different relationship to it. But at the same time, mm -hmm. there are, like you said, you like your relationship with Sammy, like there are people who you connect to and you're just like, no, I just want to give you my time. And right. you know, that it, it would feel weird to, to accept money for it. Right. So, right. yeah, I don't think there's any sort of easy answers around it, but I just, yeah, I thought it'd be useful to get your, your perspective. Any other thoughts on, um, on just the different nuances of, of mentorship at this point? I think that, you know, going back to sort of my, my belief that I think having some structure around an involved mentoring partnership is most effective. I think it's important to also have a sense of kind of what type of mentor you're looking for. Mm, yeah. um, and I, I just, I can't stress enough how much I think that makes a difference in terms of what you think you'll get out of something. So, you know, when we talk about Sammy, obviously that's an easy example of, you know, sort of a life mentoring situation. If you're going to mentor an adolescent or as part of some type of nonprofit program, like the Boys and Girls Club or something, that's going to be an obvious one. Um, you know, but thinking about, okay, what is what is it you're really seeking in a mentor and what type of mentor could, could best help you? Is, is what you're seeking a peer? Uh, is what you're seeking, you know, someone who has, who has, you know, traveled the road very thoroughly ahead of you? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and just taking some time before you jump into things, which I think is interesting. You know, I think when people finally make the decision that they do want to reach out for help, they can sometimes put the cart before the horse in doing that. And we, we, in the story we share in one minute mentoring, you know, it's, it's built around this story and we, we share how, um, the character in the book kind of does that at a certain moment in time, you know, you, you get excited, you're all ready to reach for help. And, you know, then you just sort of want to bulldoze in all directions looking for a mentor. And that isn't always the, the right path. I'm mm -hmm. also reminded of, um, in Sheryl Sandberg's book, lean in, mm -hmm. she talks about how, you know, sometime, sometime in, you know, the last decade, I'm not sure when she felt that mentoring had sort of become more popular. And so she started to notice this sort of, um, you know, upswing in young professional women who were just kind of wandering around, you know, looking for their mentors. And it reminded her of this famous children's book where the bunny is looking for his mother and he goes up to all kinds of different uh, animals. Are you my mother? And, you know, are you my mother? Are you my mother? Are yeah. you my mentor? Are you my mentor? Uh. Which is, 
which is, you know, also kind of funny, right? Of mm. course, I, I wrote this book about mentoring. I want to encourage people to, to think about mentoring and to start mentoring relationships, but you also don't want to jump in and unless you're, you know, you have the time to do it and mm. unless you, you know, have found the right person. So mm. there's some caveats, I guess. Yeah, of course. Well, and I can imagine these are the kind of nuances that you're going to explore in the summit. So can we talk a bit about that? Because you've clearly gathered some great people to talk about the issue. So tell me a bit about how that came about. Sure. So on May 9th um, through May 17th, I'm basically doing a, an online uh, virtual summit with over 45 speakers. And the summit is called the Success Mentor Summit. And basically the concept behind it is, you know, how can we take this idea of mentoring and pin it on something specific like your own success in life and work? Right. So where can you go to find a success mentor to help you essentially level up? Right. Mm. So this online summit is basically a space where there are you know, 45 speakers coming in to really share their wisdom on the topic. And they're doing so sort of in, in three different um, sort of subtopics. They're going to be talking about mentoring. They're going to be talking about mindset. And then they're going to be talking about um, success and just sort of looking at these three topics through the lens of, you know, how can how can I, as a leader, share what I've learned and, and help you um, get where you want to go a little bit faster or, or a little bit uh, more safely along the road or something? So it's going to be great. It's, we, we ran a big summit last year. There are about 15,000 people at it last year. So I'm really hoping that we'll have a good turnout this year. The way it works is, you know, you just log on online, um, what any, any, you know, day one through day 10, and you watch any of the interviews that are available that day. Um, and all the interviews are then free for 24 hours. And then if you miss those and you want to go, um, go back and watch them after that 24 hours has expired, you can just upgrade to basically have a lifetime pass to all of the 45 interviews. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. And, um, you know, obviously Ken Blanchard is a part of it, so he's going to be there. I think he's going to be doing the, the ending keynote with me. Okay. And so that'll be fun. And it's just kind of a chance to bring, bring more people on board the mentoring train, I guess, right. Getting, getting more people excited about what mentoring can do for, for your life and your business. And so tell us about some of the other folks that you've gathered to talk about mentoring. Sure. So I've, I've got a lot of really fun folks on board, people that I really admire and, you know, people that I would love to, you know, coach me on a regular basis or, <laughs> or be my mentor. Um, so some of my favorites are, you know, friends like Don Miller, uh, Chandler Bolt, Adam Grant, who is, you know, the awesome Wharton professor who's, who's written a few different great books and is just coming out with one with um, Sheryl Sandberg, Option B, comes out next week. Oh, yeah. uh, we've got Craig Ballantyne, uh, great productivity guru, Chris Gillibo. Uh, oh, yeah. Many people know from some of his books, like The $100 Startup. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got John Acuff, one of my favorites. He's he's an awesome, awesome speaker, um, a, a, a guy who packs a punch when it comes to business and is able to do so as he, you know, leaves you laughing on the floor. Um, nice. Propaganda, a great hip-hop artist. Oh, really? Uh, you mm-hmm. mean pro- propaganda? Propaganda oh, okay. with the last with A. Yeah. If you know him, um, Tish Oxenrider, she's one of my favorite bloggers out there from the art of simple. 
Um, and she's really, really passionate about this idea of mentoring. And she's one of the people at the summit who also, um, does life coaching in some sort of capacity. So she's an author and also does some life coaching. And so it's interesting to kind of get perspective from people who spend time coaching Mm -hmm. about how that's different, different from mentoring, because it is, it is different as we, as we said. Um, yeah, I'm just looking through the list of all these folks. There's, there's some, oh, Jeff Goins, who, um, is known for his work, basically teaching writers how to be better writers. He's there. Um, let's see, Dale Partridge, um, who's, um, going to be sharing about, you know, why success is all about holding things lightly, which I, th- I think is kind of a, a fun topic to touch on. Um, yeah, lots, lots of fun folks. So I'm thinking about how just, you know, the nature of our world is changing so fast and there's a lot of um, fear and anxiety about the future of work, but also excitement about, you know, the sort of potential technologies. So with, with that in mind and, and recognizing the, the value of, of mentoring, what do you think we need to really pay attention to, to in, in preparation for, you know, the, the future that's coming at us really fast? I think, you know, the reality is we have, when it comes to work and just in the way we live our lives, we have significantly more choices than people in generations before us, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a great thing, but it obviously comes with a lot of um, precarious downsides as well. And I think that one of the opportunities that all these choices gives us is basically the chance to, more so than in generations previous, find work that really matters to us and that really means a lot. So essentially, I think meaning basically matters more than it ever used to when it Mm. comes to the way we work and the way we live our lives. Um, We have more options. You know, people listening to this podcast today have, have many, many options and trying to kind of understand how you can go about taking a hold of those options, but also choosing the options that are really best for the type of life you want to build, I think is perhaps more important than ever before and more and more possible than ever before. Right. So it's kind of, it is now, um, you know, the burden of that is that it's now on our shoulders to figure out, okay, what really does matter to me? Where do I find the meaning and how do I you know, take the steps to, to build that life instead of just dialing it in essentially, right? Because dialing it in is, is easy to do. So I'm thinking about, um, I, I was going to ask you about the, if there is a book or resource around um, re- leadership or perhaps mentoring that you find yourself referring to others, but I'm thinking more about the idea of meaning. And, and um, I've recently read, uh, this is probably the third time I've mentioned it on the podcast, is um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And I wonder if mm-hmm. you have a particular resource that you think is useful around whether it's finding meaning or navigating in today's world or, you know, is there something that you are continually referring to others? Yeah, there's two things that I'm continually referring to. Um, one of them is, is I think, pretty popular these days. And another one, they're both books. One of them I think is pretty popular these days. Another one I think is less, less so, but should be. So the more popular one is um, the book Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Um, Greg is a friend and I got the chance to go through basically a year long uh, retreat course with him meeting every quarter to kind of work on the concepts of the book, which was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So essentialism, the idea behind the book is, you know, that, that less is more that you need to sort of figure out 
what is the most important for you in, in your life or in one small sector of your life and then go for that one thing and let the, the sort of marginal, um, marginal things fall to the wayside because many of us pursue those small things and, and get so caught up in the pursuit of these small little things that we don't um, make, make time and put our energy towards what really matters. So I think that would be one really great resource. Another resource is a book called New Slow City by William Powers. And it is a book all about the, the process of trying to live slower in a busy world. Mm. William Powers is a development, uh, international development um, consultant. And basically in this book, he talks about his journey at the time of living in, in busy Manhattan after having you know spent spent time in, in Liberia and in Bolivia and then in a, a 12 by 12 foot um, off the grid shack in North Carolina, right? So he'd had all these sort of experiences in, in places where he had a lot less and now he was living in Manhattan. So how can he sort of navigate that? Um, and it's just a fascinating look at sort of what it means to, to be busy and be successful um, in the world today and how you can still be successful, but, um, do it in a more meaningful way and essentially do it slower. Mm, Interesting. So going back to the journey that you have been on, are there any sort of highlights for you about what's gotten you to where you are? I think there are, you know, a few different highlights, but I would definitely say that sort of standing on the shoulders of people who have gone before me has always been something I've been lucky to rely on. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about sort of trying things yourself and learning things yourself, but I think there's a lot more to be said about, you know, taking great advice from from people who know how to how to lead and how to live well. And I think that has been sort of a, a constant theme in my life is trying to find those people and trying to to you know convince them to to give me a helping hand at times and I think ultimately you know obviously that that plays directly into why mentoring matters mm-hmm. so much to me and why I think it's it's so much really the secret to to sort of balanced sustainable success I would say it's mm, a beautiful answer um are there any other mentors that really stand out for you as far as um, your life or work or both? I have had some great ones. One of my, my first ones, and you know, he sort of came at me through a mentoring moment, I should say, um, was John Wood. He is the founder of a large nonprofit called Room to Read. He wrote a book called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World. He was one of the first people um, you know, I first met him just through through the page, through the written word, and then over the years, that relationship changed into um, into actually knowing him in person. But he was one Can of the you first people that taught me about what how you got from reading his book to meeting him. Sure. So I, John Wood, basically was an executive at Microsoft, and he left that world to start this nonprofit that is focused on literacy for um, girls in you know, upwards of a dozen countries these days. And so he started the organization maybe 15 years ago, maybe more than that. And I first read the book, I guess, in the early 2000s. And I was really, really just convicted by it. And it was at the time where I was sort of just becoming a social entrepreneur and learning what that meant. And so reading this was incredibly inspiring, but also very directive. And so then it was after a few years later when I had sort of um, moved on and I was now working at Twitter 
with um, nonprofits and cause-based organizations, you know, all working to use the platform of Twitter to basically make a positive difference in the world, that I was able to start working with him directly on a partnership we had then at the company. And so it was such a good sort of example of how, you know, you never know where those mentoring moments will lead. Um, you know, it started as as me reading his book while living in an orphanage in Kenya and then led to to very different things out in Silicon Valley years later. So wow. he's definitely one of my first sort of early mentors, I would say. It's mm, fantastic. And um, are you stepping into the space of being a mentor more as a result of this work? I believe so. You know, it's a it's a funny thing. It that kind of question it, it forces you to acknowledge that you can be a mentor to people, which I think plays into a lot of sort of confidence issues and issues of value. But um, the answer is yes, yes. <laughs> Great. So um, I I want to ask um, my tall poppy advice question, uh, and maybe this is where some of your uh, mentor wisdom can be shared. Uh, what would you say to someone who is thinking about starting a business, starting a not-for-profit, writing a book or a creative project of some kind, but they've got some reluctance, they're aware that if they stick their neck out, they're likely to be criticized and, you know, all that stuff. Um, what would you say to them? Oh, man. Well, first of all, you're not likely to be criticized. You, you will be criticized. So you how should, do, you should you know that. that? I think it's a very hard thing. I think it's a, it's a journey, right? I mean, you've got leaders who do everything like not read, you know, I've heard some leaders say they they don't read any Amazon reviews on their books, (laughs) you know, right. To try to um, shield themselves from, from the pain. And then you've got other people that kind of have these incredibly thick skins that can hear anything and just know that it, it doesn't define who they are. So I think the the answer is somewhere, somewhere between, somewhere in between, in between those things. Right. Mm. Um, but I would say if you're, you know, thinking about putting yourself out there, I think the the best thing you can do is to um, just let yourself do it. I think a lot of times we stop ourselves from succeeding because we are too hesitant. We are worried that we won't do it exactly right. We are worried that we won't have, you know, the 110% success we dream of. And so we don't start and I just think that's probably one of the sort of creative tragedies of our generation, right, is, is all these people seeing that so many opportunities are kind of at their fingertips in terms of what they can create with, with these digital platforms we have um, that make things so accessible and yet not doing it because they're, they're scared, of, scared of the fear of failure, the fear of, of you know, the negative peanut gallery, whatever it may be. So I, I would say just to just put yourself out there, just commit to putting one small thing out there and then see where that leads. So what about, I think, I mean, there's so much content and there's so much noise and there's so much hype. And I wonder if that's one of the barriers that people don't want to be part of that. How would you, um, what advice do you have for, for people who really want to to get through that noise or to, to, you know, provide something different or, you know, just are like, there's no way my voice is going to be heard amongst all that. Well, I mean, the worst noise and the most sort of damning noise and the noise that is the noise that most prevents people from starting things is, is the, the noise that, you know, lets you sort of compare and despair, right? So you see what someone else is doing and then you immediately start 
comparing what you're doing and then you start despairing and then, you know, you have to basically walk away from the computer because (laughs) you're in such a bad, a bad mental state. So, you know, the, the big, big advice there is to just run your own race. And that's obviously very hard advice to follow. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's something that I tell myself every day. And I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs have to tell themselves every day. You know, you're running your own race. You're, you're starting where you're starting and you're moving forward from where you're going. And there will always be people around you. Some of them will be further ahead. Some of them will be further behind. Some of them will have started, you know, it looks like 95% of the way through the race and, you know, be, be already completed. Right. But, Mm. um, the, the point is to, to run your own race because that's, that's really the only one that, that matters for you. Right. Mm. And it's only by running your own race that you'll have any chance of, of actually, of actually completing it. Right. Because comparing and despairing doesn't, doesn't lead to, you know, a written book, an online course (laughs) created, a, an interview completed, a podcast recorded, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. So before we finish up, is there anything else that you want to say or any other, um, anything about the summit or, or um, mentoring in general that you want to leave people with? No, I mean, I just, I'd encourage anyone who's really interested in this idea of seeing how learning from others can change their life and their business to, to check out the Success Mentor Summit, successmentorsummit.com. We go live on we go live on May 9th, but whenever you're listening to this, you can go on over there and, and sign up to get our um you know, emails about who's speaking at what times during the course of the summit. And, you know, in general, I just hope that if, if I've, you know, encouraged one person today to really, you know, start rethinking this idea of, or thinking for the first time about, you know, getting a mentor in their lives, I I just would hope that I I would hope that that has happened. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Claire. Thanks so much. So, do you have a mentor? Are you a mentor? Does this inspire you to explore it a bit more deeply? I recommend checking out the summit. There's a link in the show notes, and as Claire mentioned, it goes from May 9th to 17th. If you're listening after the fact, you can still access it from the website for a fee. What stood out for me was how much wisdom about what makes mentoring work Claire shared. I'd often been curious about this whole paid or voluntary, formal or informal question, and I like that she suggests that you get really clear about what you want in a mentor. Do you want someone who is really experienced and has really been on that path before you, or is it more like a peer relationship that's up your alley? Having the conversations around how it's going to work, and if you want to continue it after an agreed period of time, I think these things are critical. Having programs at work that help retain corporate knowledge can reduce the risk of losing what someone knows when they retire or move on, and it makes learning about how things work when someone joins your organization more personable and establishes a bit more connectivity. I also really enjoyed her tall poppy advice. You will be criticized. That's just part of it. I think that was a big worry that kept me from starting tall poppy earlier, too. What if no one listens? What if people think my voice is annoying? What if it's completely inconsequential? All that shit that goes on in our minds as we look at putting something out there. Claire reminds us to run our own race, to remember that others are at a different place and let go of comparing. I'm not under any illusion that this podcast is anything like Tim Ferriss's or you know other people who have been doing this for a lot longer than me. And you can start where you are. You'll get further along. You'll get to a different place. 
Start with something small. So what are you taking to heart here? What structures can you put around your mentoring to help you make it really work? Can you check in to see how it's going? Is there a space for having an honest conversation if it's not working for you or working for the other person? Perhaps getting specific about what isn't working. Is there something that can be tweaked that would make a real difference? Or do you really just want to try someone different? And all of that's okay. It feels important to do it for a time-limited duration, and it's okay to end it there. And those mentoring moments, maybe it's fleeting, and that's just as valid. Have you had moments like that? So wrapping up, looking ahead, next episode is with Gus Harvey from Future Crunch, another really inspiring conversation about the future. So if you have any fear or uncertainty about the future, this episode's for you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Tall Poppy community, part of this movement toward a new paradigm of leadership that is happening, where we consider our whole selves, our work and our life as opportunities for leadership, for creating a brighter future for all, starting with what you have, where you are. I'd love it if you left a review for the podcast, sent me an email or contact me via social media. I want to hear from you about what difference this is making, or not, what you want to hear more of, and what you might do differently. Poppy at tathrastreet.com is the email address, and you can find me on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, and and Twitter as well. My name is spelled T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T-R-E-E-T. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you on the flip side.